Welcome back, everybody, to the True Critic Podcast, where today we're going to be talking about what I think is the most important movie of the year so far, and one of the most important American movies to come out in a long time. We're talking about Nope. What's a bad miracle? They got a word for that. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. Oh, yeah. There we go. That's a perfect way to set the tone. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Teddy Hirschfield and Cam Zirik for this thoughtful discussion and deep dive into the movie Nope. Teddy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, anytime. Cam, first time back on the show in right around a year, I think. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Love to be back out here on the oh, show. Yeah. We are so glad to have you. And I'm so glad that you're here to talk about this movie, which begs to be talked about, I yep. think. So basically, we're going to just, like I said, we're going to do a deep dive of the movie, but we're going to start with a spoiler-free discussion of the movie, which is going to be difficult to do. But it's important, I think, especially for any of the listeners that haven't seen the movie yet, it's better to go in knowing as little as possible. So for to start things off with a very general discussion, Cam, walk me through just generally how you feel about the movie, how you felt walking walking out of it, and then just how it's kind of sat with you since you've seen it. Yeah, so um, I loved the movie when I was watching it just for the fact that I was able to watch a movie you know, uh, by Jordan Peele that was more in the sci-fi realm because I'm a huge sci-fi fan. But at the end of my first viewing, I was not, I felt like I didn't have, I didn't see the whole uh, picture. I didn't have all the pieces. I knew that they were there. I just knew that I didn't pick up on them because I was so busy trying to watch this movie for the first time. But then when I got a chance to watch it again, which was the following day because I couldn't wait, mm-hmm. um, it all like I could see the whole picture and I could see what he was trying to do with different characters, different scenes, different yeah. aspects of this film. Yeah. It's the second watch is like watching a new movie. That's yeah. what I think. Teddy, would you walk me through general thoughts on the movie? I felt the same way. The first time I saw it, I couldn't tell if I hated it or loved it. <laughs> and literally like I couldn't stop thinking about it, but I, it just, it wasn't, it didn't click. Kind of like mm-hmm. what Cam said, the pieces were there. They didn't click the second time through completely different movie watching it through a different lens and listening to a little bit about what Jordan Peele had to say completely changed the experience yeah and I think one of the cool things about it too is that you know there is um there's interviews out there where Jordan Peele says what his intentions were with the movie and basically what a large meaning is within the movie and it's so cool to watch it watch the movie through that lens but I think that's not not the only lens you can watch it through I think there's also a lot in this movie that can relate to just grief and then like relationships you have, especially with family members. And so it's really cool to watch it through. And there's a lot of stuff about like humans and our relationships with animals. And I think that that is a really, really cool. uh, It's really cool how the movie is enjoyable in so many different ways and you can watch it through so many different um, basically like points of view. Yeah. One of the things uh, like you uh, were just talking about, I would say is uh, there's also a big thing about like family legacy. hundred percent. I think that plays a big role in this Mm -hmm. film. Yeah, I definitely agree. You could see, OJ, the main character in the movie, just dealing with, you know, even just like something as simple as family business, which I think is just like something that so many families across America deal with and just how important it is to him. And so there's certainly a huge level of relatability, I think, in that aspect of him. 
But in a broader sense, I think the movie, um, the first time I saw it, I really I knew I really enjoyed it, but I was really conflicted because I felt so empty. I feel like I didn't fully get it. I missed, I feel like I missed something he was trying to say. I couldn't really put my finger on it per se. And because of that, after one viewing, I had a feeling that this movie was going to be very divisive among audiences. I felt like there were going to be a lot of people that loved it, but I also thought that there was going to be a lot of people that hated it. So one of the things that I did before we did this show is I I know uh, a good amount of people outside of us that have seen the movie. And I texted a couple of them and I asked them to just sum up their thoughts in one sentence of what they thought about the movie. Some of the ones I got were... It's tough to fit my opinion into one sentence, but it's a good movie that could have been a great movie. So these are all people that have only seen it once. Okay. Um, somebody else that um, I'm close to that doesn't watch a whole lot of movies but wanted to see this one says, As someone who often chooses watching a movie as a last resort activity, I was able to follow along with ease and it kept my attention the entire time. Really? Interesting. Yeah. That's kind of surprising. I know, I know right? So yeah. I was kind of surprised by that one too. Wow. Um, another one I saw... Um, there was a couple, it was one of the most surprising things about it was that it was all, um, all positive. One of them was Mm -hmm. Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer kill it in a movie that is intentionally hard to stand, hard to understand, but pays off anyway. Okay. And then they do kill it. They do. They're beasts. And then, um, somebody else said, nope, just like every Jordan Peele film, it is full of discomfort, disturbing images and feelings and a bit of wonder. Wonder whether or not these things could happen in real life. It also unfolds a whole new aspect or perspective to the Hollywood depiction depicted definition of UFO. That one was interesting too. Yeah. So, but what I was surprised with with I, I reached out to a couple more people, but those were the ones I found more interesting. Is that it was mostly positive, and then so I was surprised because I ex- kind of expected more people to hate it, but then I kind of realized Jordan Peele. I think might be the best. I think he is the best filmmaker we have working today at balancing like surface level entertainment with deep philosophical metaphorical ideas, because there's so many movies out there that um, have these deep, deep thoughts and so much to say, but a lot of like average moviegoers would define those movies as boring because what is at the forefront of those movies is what it's trying to say. Yeah. But Jordan Peele walks this tightrope between entertaining its audience and also making them think so much. So that's why the first time I saw Nope, even though I was, I felt empty and felt like I was missing something that he was trying to say, I totally was thoroughly entertained by it because like as just watching it as a cool alien style movie, it's, it's really entertaining and it definitely is captivating and holds your attention the entire time. I just want to add, I, I think you're right in saying that, but I don't think his movies end in a nice, tidy way that the average moviegoer wants. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's definitely entertaining. You and I were talking about this. You're entertained. You're not bored through the movie, but a lot of average moviegoers, I think, want want, want to tie up. They They want want more closure. Right. Which is, it's what I love Mm -hmm. and hate. I mean, I don't hate it, but what I love and what a lot of people hate about Jordan Peele. It's funny that you bring that up. Cam and I were talking on the way here about... How So now that Jordan Peele is back in the forefront of the conversation with a new movie release, I've noticed there's kind of this narrative starting that's kind of like hate for the movie Us. People saying, you know, now that we've got three of his movies and we can kind of look at all three through a broader lens, people say that Us kind of sticks out as his worst movie and that they feel that Us is him taking 
a really big swing and he has a lot of ideas in that movie and that they don't all really hit home. And Cam put it best when he, you said that the movie, us out of his three movies gives you the least amount of closure, you said. Yeah, it, it definitely at the end is the most open-ended of his three films. I would agree. Yeah. Um, and with us, I would say just on like, like you said, service level entertainment, it's his most generic film too. Really? Yeah, I, think, it, I, I think that one's the most tense. I think I definitely think it's the most. I would say us is the most tense. I think yes, I would agree. With Get that. out might be the most generic in my opinion. On a surface level, it's for most of the movie. I mean, yeah, towards the end, it definitely does not. Oh well, yeah, I just yeah. think on the basis of it's it on the surface, it can just be this slasher movie where people that's are running fair. from you know, yeah, things that's trying fair. to kill them because you know because us is so tense. I think I see where you're coming from. It's sort of becomes generic in that way, mm-hmm. but yeah, us definitely does have a lot of ideas. About, you know, a lot of people have talked about the political implications of that movie, about, like, classism and just, like, the difference between the upper and the lower class. But then there's also just this, um, these ideas in there about, like, the dichotomy one has with oneself, you mm-hmm. know? Like, the, there's two versions of yourself, basically, you know, the good and evil, quote-unquote. And there's all these deep ideas about stuff like that. Yeah. And so, even though I do love Us and I've gone on record saying I like it more than Get Out, which I do... I think I, I think there's some merit to the argument of like him taking really big swings with those ideas and not really fully landing them, but it it works for me and I think yeah. I I, th- I feel like I get a lot out of that movie on a thematic level, and I think there's a large argument out there right now that us is the least thematically effective of his three movies. That's not saying too much though. I know, right? It's like <laughs> yeah, it's like because in my book he's three for three. Yeah, and yeah. so some people right now are still saying you know he's two for three. Oh, and you know what? See, I wouldn't go that far. You know, yeah, me either. I would never say, it. but even you're an MLB player, you go two for three. That's a hell of a game. Yeah. You know, oh, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, yeah. I the way I think about it is, mm-hmm. I love. I think he's three for three too. Mm-hmm. And I think Get Out, it shows that it's his first movie. To be honest with you, I no, I hundred yeah. percent agree. That's better. Yeah, with each one. I you know what? I, can I say something real quick? I, I, I do. I do want to say I'm still. I still like Us more. Us than, is one of my top. Nope. Yeah. Oh, okay. Us is one of my top of all time. Yeah, I, I know you're a big Us guy. But Nope has a chance. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I just, I love Teddy though. I couldn't tell if I loved it or I hated it. Well, I, I, a lot of people are going to be thinking no, that. Yeah. And Kim, I don't know if you know this, but the first time I watched Us, I hated it. Did you really? It was a burning passion. Yeah. I thought Jordan Peele was just out to get money and I freaking hated it. Yeah. Now it's one of my favorite of all time. So uh, like when I watched Nope the first time and I wasn't a big fan, I was like, there's just something I'm not getting. Yeah, just I, know, I know that I'm going to yep. like it. I just don't uh-huh. like it yet. And, you know, it's funny you bring that up, too, because I was talking about how I thought this movie was going to be divisive. And I was hanging out with one of my friends the other day, and I was talking because he had seen it and he was a fan of it. And I was talking to him. I was like, man, I thought there would be more people against this movie because I feel like it's it's difficult to digest. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. like there's a lot to think about. And I was like, but surprisingly, I've heard nothing but positivity from people I personally know. Right. And as he was, as I was saying that to him, his sister's in the other room and his sister goes, oh, nope was the worst movie I've ever seen. (laughs) She was like, I wanted to get up and leave from like the hour mark through the rest of the movie. I was, I was so bored. And I was like, I was like, thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so like there is, I, yeah, people, I think, but like the one person that I read the interview or the review from that they choose movie going as a last resort activity. That person I know also said that they will never watch Nope again, but they did like it for the one watch. And I was like, that's interesting to think about. But um, yeah, I just love how there's so many, there's a lot of different ways to take this movie, I think is one of the most intriguing things about it. And 
I just think there's so much to love about this movie. And I, I, it's my favorite movie of the year so far for sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got one thing to say, one more thing to say before we get into the spoilers. I don't know. Yeah. There's a couple more things I want to touch on. You go go, ahead. You go ahead. Yeah. Um, one more thing I wanted to say about, um, so I want to talk a little bit about, we were already talking about it, but like Jordan Peele's reputation. Mm -hmm. So it's funny that you brought up us felt like him going for like a money grab. And I, can see where you're coming from because from Upon first watch. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So f- going from get out to us, it's so much bigger in scale. Get out is completely contained to that house and that estate. Mm-hmm. Whereas get out is, or I mean, sorry, us is literally a movie that like spans across the entire country. Yeah. You know, sure it's contained to uh, what is it like Santa Cruz area for yeah. the most of the movie, but the broader scope of it is across the entire yeah, United States. Yeah, you only States. see what's going on in that specific area, but you have the knowledge that this is going on. Right, yeah. Across. And I think, you know, Get Out, he made for four, four and a half million dollars, and he made us for $20 million. And I think it's you can easily tell that it's five times more expensive than mm-hmm. Get Out. Mm-hmm. And so I can see where you're coming from with that, but it's so interesting you bring that up because Jordan Peele, not too long ago, was offered to do a live-action uh, version of a popular anime. I oh, think it's yeah. called Akira. Yeah, Akira. Uh huh. He was offered to do that, and he said, "No, I only want to keep making original films." So I, part of me, loves Jordan Peele for that because not I a love, lot of filmmakers are I know. doing that. And in, in you know what, that's so true. And part of the reason why I'm so glad he said that and decided to do that, Jordan Peele now because of that is one of, I think three filmmakers working today that can sell a movie and profit off of it off of his name alone yeah literally all you have to see is from jordan peele and you know the thing's gonna make money yeah like nope made over 40 million dollars it's opening weekend it's an r-rated sci-fi movie that's incredibly deeply thematic and high concept and it's making this much money like us made 71 million dollars it's opening weekend like nobody else is bringing that in that kind of money on original ideas alone I think the only people that can do this are him, Martin Scorsese, and Quentin Tarantino. Nobody yeah. else. Yeah. Like I would have said Spielberg, but West Side Story was a flop. Yeah. Like that didn't make it was a financial Maybe Spielberg failure. in like the nineties, eighties. Yeah, yeah, Hill. definitely. Yeah, but, but not Spielberg. Today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. In the business right now, I think it's those three. Yeah. Because like, I want to say that you know, there's all these like young filmmakers that, like, I think can get there. Like, uh, I really thought Robert Eggers could, but then yeah. the Northman came out this year which cost $90 million to make and only made 60 back. So that movie lost so much money. And like, I want to say the Safdie brothers can get there because uncut gems was so profitable, but you got to realize like they didn't give them, they're not, they're not giving him Jordan Peele money to make a movie. Yeah. What about my boy, Damien? Damien Chazelle, I think is on his way there. Damien Chazelle is about to make Babylon, which Mm -hmm. is much, much more expensive than his previous movies. But yeah, his movies have been relatively like low budget. They have for the most part, but a lot of something people don't know is that La La Land cost thirty million dollars to make. Across the world, that movie made four hundred and thirty million dollars. Wow! Like that's so, that's, that's so profitable. And then like first the subject man, matter probably helped a lot. Yeah, I hundred percent. And then First Man kind of came and went. I feel yeah. like even though I do love that movie, and I know you do too, Cam. Yeah. Like that movie kind of came and went. So it'll be interesting to see how Babylon does because he's working with more money and he's working with big names like Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. But as of right now, the only people who can sell a movie on their name alone are Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. I, and so I, I really respect him for that. And 
one of the things that I admire so much, so much about Jordan Peele, and I feel that he, I feel like he, when compared to other filmmakers, has a so much better grasp on the real world. Like, yeah, oh, his yeah. movies always feel like the characters and everything are based in like they based feel authentic. Yeah, yeah, ex- there's yes, I there's said, a huge I level. I said this the other day. He does a great job of creating a, a weird situation into a normal situation. And I think yeah. a lot of that with his his dialogue that he writes. Dialogue, yeah, and I think that a great trademark or a trademark of a great director is getting a great performance out of your lead actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he did it in Get Out with Daniel Kaluuya. He did it in Us with Lupita Nyong'o, who's incredible in that yeah, movie. Yeah. And then in this movie, he does it with both Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer. Yeah. I also, this makes me want to bring up another point. I was thinking about this watching when we watched the movie last night, Teddy. I think Daniel Kaluuya might be one of my favorite actors working today. That guy does not miss. He's and uh, to go on even further, I think this is my favorite role that I've seen him in. Yeah. Because I, I think he is just like perfect for this character. He like... This character, he doesn't even like say too much. Like he's very but, reserved. Like I wanted, like I was ready for him to say whatever he did have to say. He is what? such a great screen presence. And I heard another movie personality that I love to listen to said that Daniel Kaluuya, he thinks is one of the best actors working today when it comes to silence. Yeah. Oh yes. Because yes, like in Teddy, you brought up the scene in the movie yesterday where basically Daniel Kaluuya is in a truck. And he basically just has to sit still. Mm-hmm. And the camera is just a close-up on his face for a very long time. Like, no exaggeration, probably 45 consecutive seconds of mm-hmm. just a close-up on his face. And he's trying to not move, not make any sounds. And it is... And he nails it. It is captivating. Like, you cannot take your That's eyes off scene, of him. Yeah. yeah. And I... So, Daniel Kaluuya, like... I, like... I, I, I'm putting all my chips in on him. Like, yeah. if I could invest on an actor, I'd the next 10, 15 years of their career, I'd pick Daniel Kaluuya. He's incredible. And I mean, like, Get Out, Nope, Judas and the Black Messiah, Widows, like, he he hits a home run every time he steps on the screen. And yeah. so, and I love that he has this kind of partnership now with Jordan Peele. Hopefully they continue to work together. I don't know if they will because Daniel Kaluuya is becoming a little bit too much, too famous. Yeah. Unfortunately. So I, but it's Jordan Peele is becoming, I mean, every movie they that he makes, they keep quadrupling or tripling his budget. So, mm-hmm. Like they gave him twenty dollars, twenty million dollars to do us. They gave him sixty million dollars to do Nope. Yeah, or really? closer to seventy. Yeah. Wow. So I wonder if he's got a hundred million dollar movie on his radar next, which would be really cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um. One other quick thing I want to say: no spoilers. I want to talk about the technical aspects of the yes. movie. Yeah. Teddy, go ahead. I know you're excited about this. I just want to say I, even after the first watch, the, the cinematography is just unbelievable, and it's. What I love about Jordan Peele is like we've we've talked about this before is he lets his actors work. He doesn't do a whole lot of cuts. You know, he kind of puts a camera on screen and maybe zooms in or zooms out a little bit, but there's not a whole lot of cuts and fast yeah. movement camera. And but then in this movie especially he just really captures the sky and this was it South, Southern California? Is that where they are? Somewhere in California. Yeah, I don't know. But I would say Southern California, California Nevada, but, maybe. Yeah. Whatever, it's definitely California. It's like, oh, California. it is California. Yeah. Whatever it oh, okay. is, he just really captures the land. And part of me, like watching this movie, is like, you know, even all this crap, even though all this crap is happening, it'd be kind of cool to live there. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, Dude, he does that so well with his setting because I feel the same way about us. Because mm-hmm. like you watch this like uh, this basically like boardwalk amusement park turn into just like a battlefield and just like yeah. dead bodies and blood everywhere. But at the same time, you're like, 
That's a pretty, that's a pretty cool vacation spot. Yeah, I'd like cool. to go there. Yeah. I'd, I'd go there. Or like, yeah. Even to get out, that like it's a cool location for the house. And yeah. it's just like, he really captures just like the eerie feeling of that one pretty well. You're like, I'd go there. One of like, my yeah, favorite cool shots, to to. my favorite shots in Us is at the very beginning when uh, the young girl runs into the... the it's a mirror. The, yeah. The, oh, the, the yeah. thing of mirrors. And mm-hmm. it's like, he's slowly like, I guess it would be zooming back, maybe? Zooming pulling back pulling yeah. back uh-huh. and it starts raining you know when she oh, runs yeah. in and it's just looking out into the water mm-hmm. like, that's sweet yeah what yeah that built that atmosphere really well yeah yeah because and before that nothing really yeah bad had like oh, there yeah, were hints that something bad was gonna yeah happen. but up until that point they were just a family on vacation yeah right and i think he quadruples quintuples his his abilities in this movie yeah. But I want you to talk about what's the guy, the Dutch guy's name? Hoyte van Hoytema. <laughs> the cinematographer of Nope is wow. unbelievable. Incredible track record. Some movies he shot include um, Tenet, Interstellar, Ad Astra, um, Her. And then, See a theme here. Yeah, I know. He wor- he's he's become Nolan's go to guy. And That's, you just named three sci fi movies. Oh, I, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, but. Uh, well, not sci fi. I, want, I, I think there's one I'm missing. Tenet, Interstellar, and Inception are the three that I knew. Oh, he did. Oh Inception no, no, he well. didn't do Inception. That's my bad, Teddy. He did oh. Dunkirk. Oh, Dunkirk, which yeah, is also sweet. yeah. And then yeah. he also did Spectre, the James Bond movie, um, the Fighter, the Mark Wahlberg movie. Like he's got some fucking good movies under his. Belt. I think I've seen the Fighter. It's been a while. Though. Oh yeah, that also sneaky good movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, dude, yeah, he's a beast. And then Jordan Peele talked about because I saw an interview with him where the interviewer asked him. What, you know, what was your biggest takeaway working on your third movie? Now, what did you take away from this movie that you didn't necessarily take away from us or get out? And he talked about working with uh, this Dutch cinematographer, and he said that the way he shoots nighttime scenes, he shoots them in a way as if you are physically there, but it's like you have been standing outside for five or ten minutes, so your eyes have already adjusted. So the sky is not pitch black. Yeah, It's actually like a, a dark deep blue like it really is in real life mm-hmm. he's like you watch nighttime scenes and all these other movies and the sky is just pitch black because nobody knows why and he's like but he has this insane capability to you know make this feel like lived in and make it feel like actual nighttime outside so you can use more natural light and jordan peele's still saying like he's like i still don't know how he does it but it is incredible and it's one of the coolest things i've ever seen and i couldn't agree more yeah. but th- does he is this something that he has done across like, i mean i've obviously seen the movies that he's done but i can't yeah. think of scenes at nighttime you know, where me either i was thinking about that too but i just realized after jordan brought that up how noticeable it is in nope well i i can think Those of in dunkirk skies. dunkirk is the one that comes to mind where there's some good night scenes there yeah there is i guess i would have to rewatch some of the other yeah. ones that he has yeah. done but even just bringing that point up is so cool to think about because yeah. that's something that would go completely over an average movie goer's head oh, yeah. went right over my head the first time i saw it i know the movie looked good mm-hmm. looked really good but to think of think about it like that is so yeah it so looked better like you like it looked better than other movies but like couldn't quite figure out I know. why and it, yeah it's awesome yeah and just like what what they do with the camera of just like moving it up to the sky and back down to eye level without cutting yeah really really interesting and like well, masterful work. one of the bigger things that I took away from this movie from Jordan Peele's standpoint is he 
more so than his other two films, even though he does do this in his other two films, he only shows us what he wants us to see. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I he agree. knows we're going to be begging to see more, but uh-huh. he's just going to, he's like, in due time, you'll see the rest. Yeah. It's like, he just keeps giving us little tastes and little yes. tastes before he gives us the He does that the in whole storytelling too. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Cause he keeps going back and forth. And yeah. Different. And that's why I think his movies are so beneficial on rewatches and it's so fun to peel back the layers because you can see him like giving you dashes of information here and there. But, uh, that brings yeah. up what I said yesterday, where I think this is the least scary of his three movies, mm-hmm. but I think it's the most terrifying. That's a great point. Because you just can't look away. Yeah. And yeah. I think part of it is just literally the cinematography and how he, like you said, like 45 seconds of just silence. Yeah. It's more visually terrifying. Yeah. I yeah. just, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's not scary, but it's definitely the most terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. There's... Yeah, it's there's so much that's just unknown, especially that first hour and a half, you know. Yeah. Where you you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. It's 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 a really rewarding rewatch I think for that reason too. Um we already talked about Daniel Kaluuya, but uh, Kiki Palmer I thought was a huge standout in this movie. I thought she was excellent. I thought like the energy she brought yeah. and just like the kineticism, like fast talking, a lot of movement like really helped She a modernized lot. the film. She did she modernize would, yeah. it, but she offered this great like Ying Yang type oh, deal yeah. to Kaluuya's character, yeah. but yes. then it in turn made their brother sister relationship more believable and more authentic. Made me care about it, and more. you can, and it makes it real because you can see how they can become like borderline estranged because of their yeah, personality. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, but yeah, and then yeah, not that they're 100%. estranged, but like borderline. No, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and yeah. yeah, Kiki Palmer I think is great and deserves a lot of credit for this. And then yeah. the last point I wanted to make before we go into the spoiler discussion. I think the music in this movie, first time I saw it, I honestly, because it's the same composer who did the music for us, and I think the music for us is incredible. Yeah. Like, really, really underrated. And then, first time I saw this, nope, I found the music to be a bit underwhelming. Upon two rewatches, I think the music is arguably the greatest strength of the movie. I think that Michael Abels is the composer's name. The soundtrack, first of all, is incredibly deep, and but it's so interesting because each of his songs have a have a unique feel to them, you know. So one of them will feel like a um, high intensity, like Indiana Jones style chase, like triumphant song, and the next one's incredibly eerie and filled with tension. And then the next one's got these sharp violins, and it feels like a horror movie. And then the next one's got these instruments that make it sound like it's out of a western, and the movie balances genres so well and so that the music complements it so well is something I really, really love. And I've been listening to the soundtrack a lot and I just, I'd be mad at myself if I didn't mention how much I love the music out of this movie. Yeah. I guess the first time I saw it and even the second time, I guess I didn't really like notice it because mm-hmm. a lot of the scenes I'm like so focused on what right, I'm being yeah. shown. Yeah. So I'm be interested because I haven't really listened to much of the soundtrack. Yeah. It's, it's worth, it's worth a dive into. Yeah. And then, I think if you if you do see it a third time, which I think you said I you want to, want yeah, to, yeah. It, it can be just try to think about it. There's a couple instances where the music really really sticks out. I think I was I just think. so focused no, on trying yeah. to piece the story yeah. and like yeah. what I was being shown. Oh, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get into the spoiler discussion of this. But before we do that, I want to give Teddy a chance to shout out another podcast that's very important to us. Go ahead, Ted. Well, I have another podcast. It's called Talking with Ted. Uh, I had uh, a guest, Jason Lawson, on, and Jake was actually on there as well. Um, and you can find Talking with Ted on any platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want. Um, 
It's great. Great little fun podcast. Have a lot of fun. Get to know some guys. And yeah, I just wanted to shout it out real quick. Did, did you have fun when you were on? I love talking with Ted. Yeah. Been on it a couple times <laughs> now, and it's it's a great podcast. Um, Thank you, Teddy. Anytime. Without further ado, though, you guys ready to get into the spoiler discussions? Can I, can I start it off? I Okay, sure. Well, I, Go ahead. No, no, please do. I just want to say we talked recently about how the trailers, mm-hmm. we, we were worried that they were giving away too much. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then after the first watch, you're like, the trailer really did not set you up. The trailer is... Puts you in a different direction. Part of the, Yeah, part of the reason why I think I felt so, so empty after the first watch. Because yes. the trailers really make it seem like it's going to be an alien invasion movie. Yeah. They show a lot of weird imagery. They show the scene with Gordy's hand going under the table, making you think it's going to be an alien of some kind. And there's all these weird images. You see like Mary Jo Elliott's like the burnt or yeah. like scarred bottom half of her face. You don't know what's going on with her. Mm-hmm. So it really makes you think it's going to be like an alien movie. Like when the camera guy, you know, at the end. Oh, yeah. Like, where he's like. Yeah. Yeah. Just where, about. To yeah. Be, where he's about yeah. to be sucked up into. Yeah. So there's all this stuff in the trailer. The movie's marketed to seem like like a not typical alien invasion movie, but an alien invasion movie. Right. Yeah. And so like, you're definitely led to believe it's a UFO in the sky and that there's aliens inside it. Yeah. And that's not at all what the movie is. And I, and I, I was worried. I was like, what could he possibly throw at us now? That we haven't seen before. Yeah. You know, that's what the trailers had. I I know. Yeah. (laughs) So I, the fact that the marketing for this movie set up such a specific level of expectations and the fact that when we saw it, we were thrown a complete curveball is it's really interesting, first of all, from just like a marketing standpoint and just like how consumerism fits into this just because of how like they probably got more asses and seats by making us think we were going to see a generic alien movie. But I just I wanted know. to start with that. I thought no, that was yeah. the last time to say that. No, so, yeah, you're right. So go ahead. Um, So basically what I wanted to do for this, um, I have broken down the movie scene by scene in order and I figured we could just go through it. Okay. Go through the movie. If you guys are fine with that, we could do that. But Cam, if there's anything you wanted to bring up first before we started it, um, no, I think I think you have a I like the, I like your outline. I like attacking this scene by scene. Yeah, this was so the third time I saw it, I was very focused on trying to, yes, stay focused on the movie and try and pick up on things I might have missed. But I really wanted to make sure I had the order of the movie down mm-hmm. in my head so we could do this discussion. Okay, opening scene. Movie opens, the very first shot we see is of the shoe standing straight up on the set of Gordy's home. And we hear some, we hear the audio of the scene before Gordy goes crazy. Mm-hmm. For Gordy goes ape shit, no pun intended. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, so yeah, what do you think of the decision to start the movie off with not only the image of the shoe, but then we also just see Gordy walk onto screen, face and arms and hands covered in blood, and then he goes and sits down next to the couch and he stares directly into the camera. What did you guys think about that? Doesn't, doesn't he also at this point knock on the shoe of the girl? Yeah. Or is that not until later? I think no, he, he does. does he does, yeah. yeah. And you can kind of tell that she's not moving. Yeah, no, she's not coming back. Yeah. You also yeah. don't know what he's looking at until later too. Right, yeah, he just looks directly into the camera. Yeah. That's what you get as an audience member watching. What did you guys I, think of this opening scene? Well, you want to go first? No, you can go ahead. I just want to say the first time I watched this... I, I, that's what Jordan Peele did, did in Us, where he kind of shows you a lot of glimpses of things at first. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, okay, this is definitely going to make a lot more sense later. Yeah. And so, like, I didn't think a whole lot more of it, just of like, I'm going to figure out what this all means later. Yeah. And you kind of do, but you kind of don't. 
Right. So it wasn't, I don't know, I like the shoe is obviously very confusing. But at first, when I first saw it, I didn't think a whole lot of it because I was like, oh, he's going to come back to it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so I agree with you. I did have the sense like this is going to come around at some point. But when I walked into the theater, I was like, am I in the wrong theater? Like, yeah. is this the same movie? <laughs> like, it felt like Jordan Peele because he did such a good job with that opening scene. But I was like, this is not anything like I like I thought. Like, the trailer has the one scene where the knuckles touching, but like, right. it's hard to get that oh, yeah. from just a knuckle bump. Yeah. And, and so it, I was completely thrown off. But like you said, I, I trusted him. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I love this opening scene so much is from just an imagery standpoint, the scene where Gordy looks directly into the camera is terrifying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that is haunting. Yeah. Especially because um, those types of animals, like they look so, they have the dead eyes. Yeah, they do. And they're so unpredictable. Yeah. Like you, but, and part of it too, so you see he's obviously covered in blood and you see what looks to be a dead body laying there and your you haven't been told what happened yet, Mm-mm. but your mind just instantly assumes the worst. Mm-hmm. And so you're just assuming of this ape going crazy, killing everybody. Mm-hmm. And however disturbing it is, is however disturbing you tell yourself it is in your mind, you know? So the, basically the fact that it's kind of open-ended and just shows you the aftermath of it, I think is really, really cool and a really, really interesting way to start off the movie. Yeah. Um. So obviously we'll get back to Gordy because the full Gordy scene shows up about halfway through the movie. But after this, we then get to the death of OJ's father. And I I felt similarly to this scene that I did when the opening scene happened because, you know, you see a nickel went through his eye, killed him, and then you see that there's a key sticking in the horse that he was riding when he died. And so basically just these first five minutes, I'm just like, okay, I know all this is going to come back into play, but I'm not really, I mean, I'm on the the roller coaster for it, but like, I'm I'm strapped in, but he hasn't pressed go yet, you know? So yeah, so many just questions, right? Like get risen because well, right. you don't. You still like if you have if you're someone who had seen the trailer, you have a certain expectation. And so far, you've only seen a monkey after yeah. after a bloodbath that you didn't even see the bloodbath really, and then you just see um, a rainstorm of uh, metal like, things. Yeah, and exactly. You, again, you have ideas like, oh, this is gonna come together, but you're like, what is he? What's he showing me right now? Yeah. But upon second watch. At least for me, that scene it can almost be like its mini note movie. Yeah, like what that scene is trying to tell you is what the whole movie is trying to tell you. Oh yeah, you and know? you know, there's such a great bit of irony that the nickel goes directly through his eye. Right, that's what you I'm know? saying. Yeah, and so yeah, all right, and so from that, then we go through the uh, opening credits and we get uh, the commercial shoot that goes south, and then that leads into. Uh, OJ and M having their first meeting with Jupe and where Jupe basically explains the whole Gordy's home incident in a way he explains it through through explaining an SNL a, f- a fictional SNL skit and mm-hmm. then he shows them like the the part of his uh his office, office yeah. that has all the Gordy memorabilia he talks about how a Dutch couple paid him $50,000 to stay there for the night, and he was more than happy to let them do it. That's some weird shit. I know, and there's... But it's, it's, but so it's now, integral. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. now you get this... You don't exactly get the explicit answers, but you get the feeling, you know, that... Jupe, Stephen Yoon's character, lived through this horrific experience. Mm-hmm. It is an extremely traumatic and incident, and it's definitely a tragedy... And here he is exploiting it for money, 
And so now the first time I saw it, you know, this is something that just went way, way over my head and I was just taking it as just to learn more about what happened with the monkey experience. But then the second time, third time you see it, you see more of the subtext on screen of you see how basically sad it is and tragic it is that somebody is profiting off of a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, you know, how did you guys feel about this scene? And just basically, I guess we can use now to talk about the implication of including Gordy in the movie at all. Can I mention that uh, Jupe has lots of owls in his office? Did you notice that? Does he? He's got he's got a bunch of owls in his office. Okay. Not not a bunch, but a couple where, you know, mm-hmm. owls are very good at seeing. Now, what do, you, what do you think just he has owls in his office? Do you well, think that has some type of meaning? I, I just think that Jordan Peele's thrown in there just oh, okay. to be like... This movie's about. Well, I don't know much well, about, it, about owls. animals and looking. Owls have great eyes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think there's especially a big, in the nighttime. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a big emphasis in the entire movie on eyes alone. Right. Yeah. And the whole I think the whole idea that eyes are the window to the soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you know us intentionally always looking at spectacle and everything, even though that we know they're not supposed to. It's corrupting our souls and it's making us worse people because of it. So that's a big takeaway for me, I think, because there's even certain scenes in the movie where it's not something remotely related to eyes at all but you can't help but like feel like hey that looks like eyes yeah. like when they when they do the full gordy's home sequence and the camera's slowly moving through the television set and it shows the three cameras that were there recording the show mm-hmm. the film holsters on the camera all look like a pair of eyes and there's really? three of them yeah didn't notice that and oh, were I, they like red they were white with just black circles on them oh then there was also um oh, we'll, we'll probably get to it but um when he when he sees jupe doing something in the distance there's red yeah the red two red, the dots two red yeah there's like they're like antennas or yeah, like light poles of, or something. yeah yeah and they each like well, go out they look yeah, like eyes they yeah. look like eyes there's even a one minor part in the movie and this again could be me reading into it too, too much but there's a scene where m is looking out the window she's in the house and basically it's two windows and at the top is like you know curtains that you would pull straight down and they each have a string and a string mm-hmm. and at the end is a circle and so, like, the circle in the middle of the window kind of looks like an eye. like an yeah. eye. And so there's a lot of little things like that. I think there's definitely a huge emphasis in the movie yeah. on eyes, which I think is yeah. super cool. But I just want to say I noticed the owls the second time watching yeah. Jupe's scene. I, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And then, But also in Jupe's office is the same shoe. Yeah. And so the shoe is... And he has it propped up. He has it propped up. In the up. case, just like it was. Yeah. And so what do you guys think is the significance of the shoe? So... I, well, we talked about this yesterday. I liked where your your head or your buddy's head was at. Yeah. But when I've, and I don't really know, but what I thought was just this, I mean, balance is the first thing that comes to mind, right? And there's a little bit of blood, but I, I read it as there's this balance of like, I don't know, I kind of looked into it into like a Darwin aspect of, you know, some sometimes uh, blood is what is needed in this in this world. And like sometimes animals are going to, fight back you know animals eat animals survival of the fittest and that's what is balanced in the world that being said it's a little bit different than i think most of the movie mm-hmm. so i don't know but that was what i originally thought. yeah so you think it's like almost like showing the aggressive uh reality of nature yes and yeah i can that's probably that and, and that like, plays into the whole concept of this uh this predator that- right <clears throat> and like obviously when we get when we meet the cinematographer he's just watching what is it, anaconda? There's a couple different. And then ones, he has but an the, octopus too. Yeah, there's like an octopus devouring a fish. There's an anaconda choking a tiger alive. Yeah. So it's all these horrific things that happen in nature. 
And that's kind of how I read into yeah, it. Yeah, no. And yeah. I love looking at it through that lens too, of the whole balance thing, especially when you look at it through the lens of, all right, Gordy's home, the show. You brought a wild animal in and tried to film a sitcom into it. This is basically the shoe representing balance in this case is basically you saying you get what you deserve. Right. You shouldn't have even done this in the yeah. first place. This is this is nature evening itself out because you shouldn't try to control the uncontrollable. Right. So I love looking at it through that lens. And then you mentioned a buddy of mine, shout out Zach Collins, who said to me that he thinks that the shoe represents because Jupe is the only one that sees it when it's standing straight up. Yeah. He thinks it represents Jupe taking the shoe as a sign that he is the chosen one. Because think about later in when he's doing the Star Lasso experience, when he's doing that show um, with his family, mm-hmm. and he talks about seeing the UFO. And he's like, I believe these aliens trust me. They respect me on a mutual level and yada, yada, yada. They're not going to kill me that we trust each other. I'm not going to hurt them. They're not going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And so he, he was like, I'd read it as the shoe thinking that like, that's, that's his affirmation of like, I'm, I'm special. I'm different from everybody else. I lived through Gordy's home for a reason. I meant to profit off of it. I meant to tell people about it. And I meant to have another experience like this in my life. Like this is why I'm on earth. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's cool to look at it through that lens. Another um, thing that I noticed the sec- the third time watching the movie in this scene where he shows uh, OJ and M the basically the Hall of Gordy memorabilia. And he says, for six minutes and 13 seconds, it was complete havoc after that balloon popped and Gordy went crazy. Mm-hmm. When he's doing the Star Lasso experience and he talks about the first time he saw the UFO, he says he saw it at 6.13 p.m. Wow, I didn't catch that. So I think really? it's a, a big part of the movie, I think, is with Jupe's character is him taking everything as a sign that he is basically, he thinks he deserves so much, and he thinks he is a chosen one of sorts. Yeah. And but really, he's just he's completely corrupted by hu- humanity's fatal flaw mm-hmm. of being so drawn to spectacle and tragedy and exploiting tragedy. Yeah. And so I, I that's how I see all of it, and I really appreciated Zach's um, interpretation of it, and I, I really like that. But I also love it the balance. Yeah. Of it all, too. And to see, that's what I was talking about earlier when we weren't talking about spoilers, just how there is no one right way to watch this movie, right. you know? So I, I love that part of it, and I love the inclusion of the shoe and Gordy, I think. Yeah. Um. Okay, so after that, we then get basically M and OJ go back to the house, and we get some characterization of M where she talks about how when she was nine years old, they, they had a horse named Jean Jacket, who they later named the alien Jean Jacket. And... She talks about how on her ninth birthday, she was supposed to be the one to basically receive Jean Jacket and like it was going to be her horse. She was going to get to train it. And then their dad got an offer from a movie and they wanted to use the Jean Jacket horse. So he ended up not giving Jean Jacket to her and ended up just using OJ and training Jean Jacket themselves. And so she felt so betrayed by her dad. But then there's that flashback where it's a young OJ in the horse arena and he looks up at her and gives her like the ICU with a yeah. thing. And so that I think was really helpful to help with the OJ and M relationship. And it helped uh, basically to establish why they get along so well and why she, why she wants to help him. Well, I think at the, at the core of this story, it's them two trying oh, yeah. to 
to work together. Right, yeah, the, the, weight, the, the emotional weight of the movie rides on their shoulders yeah. Yeah. and whether or not we care about them. So I thought that was some good characterization. Mm-hmm. And then after that, too, you get OJ talking about how he feels responsible to carry on the legacy of Haywood Hollywood horses mm-hmm. and just how, like, he feels his dad changed the industry by creating this business and he just doesn't feel like he can just let it go and sell the ranch to Jupe. And so I, I thought that, you know, it might have been a little on the nose offering so much characterization all in this one scene, but I think it's pretty effective characters. It's interesting at the very least. Yeah, and I do, I, I do love it. to go along with that. I do love the little bit of dialogue right after he gets out with Jupe and uh, 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 Kiki Palmer's character. She asks him, like, how much did he offer you? Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, or he's, he's, so she's like, I want to see how much of a fool you are. And he's like, probably a big one. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, he was Jupe, not willing to give up this right, his Jupe, ranch. When he met with Jupe, he just wanted to create a a business avenue yeah. where he could potentially buy back the horses. Yeah. But instead, Jupe offers to buy his entire ranch, mm-hmm. horses and all. <laughs> yeah. Which we know if he were to do that, he's just using the horses to feed to the alien for part of his show. Which yeah. is just, that's why he wants it. So right after that, though, we get the sequence, the ghost appears on the screen the word ghost Mm -hmm. and we get the disappearance of ghost so basically oj's first encounter with the alien his first time seeing it you get the scene that you were talking about with the red um light poles going out you can hear jupe off in the distance practicing the star lasso experience show and yeah basically this is the scene where you as an audience member are starting to figure out what's going on. This is your first time seeing what's going mm-hmm. on, but you're also not really sure at all, but it's incredibly intense. And Ghost's disappearance directly leads, leads into the what's a bad miracle conversation. So, yeah. yeah, I Are we led to believe that Ghost is abducted by this alien creature thing? I, th- I don't think so. Well, I know, okay, well, uh, when we actually, I'll just wait for the scene to come along. I I think so because um I agree I when, think so too. When he's flying away you can hear the horse as cuz you know the the sound design for the alien basically you can only hear him when he's going, you know, basically from cloud to cloud. And usually you can hear like the screams of the humans he's just eaten. Mm-hmm. But rem- he you can hear the ghost in there and then you hear OJ when he comes back to the ranch asks what's a bad miracle. He says I've never heard a horse make a sound like that before. Okay, I see now the reason why I don't want that to be the case is because it doesn't need any other horses. Kind of like I kind of like this whole idea that humans are or animals are smarter than humans throughout the movie. And I almost take it as a ghost is just running away because he knows better. Okay, I can see that. Like yeah, he's we escaping never, this threat, yeah, but the humans are they're going to look there and like stare right, at it. and like Right, and the horses know and, better because I think that's a big part of the movie is like you kind of look through this thing like there's horses there's humans and then there's chimps or mm-hmm. monkeys who are mm-hmm. who are the closest to humans mm-hmm. and i feel like a big part of the thing what he's trying to say is like the the smarter you are the more the more of an idiot you are the more of a savage the more of a bad thing you are and that's why i think another part of gordy is they make gordy look like this terrible thing but i think part of it too is like towards the end they're trying to make humans look even worse than gordy yeah if that makes sense yeah cuz it's not like gordy doing what he did was like his fault, it was just his natural instincts. It was it their was right, fault yeah. for trying to keep him in this enclosed. Right. Yeah. And like, and so part of me wants to be like, yeah, the horses are the smartest and the, maybe even the praying mantis. Yeah. Smartest of the whole movie. Yeah. He was blocking just, the camera for their safety. Exactly. <laughs> maybe. But that's kind of why I want to yeah. go is like, I think that that would help that 
no, idea. you know, I think I think there's a lot of merit into thinking Ghost and get eaten, but Ghost doesn't show up the rest of the movie either. So correct, and yeah, but it also but, like, think in, about Lucky. Yeah, well, Lucky refuses to leave the, the right. cage. Yeah, but he's the only one that doesn't get eaten. Why? Because he doesn't look <laughs> crazy. Um, so saying. Ghost was looking at the sky. No, I'm saying I think I think they know better not to. Yeah, yeah. Because think okay. about you know because you have to look at it to get eaten. Yeah, yeah, right. I, yeah, I think there's. Yeah, I was just curious to see what you. you guys no, think. I, that's, I, that's I think I, I think you've swayed me. I think yeah. Okay. Um, but that that scene where Kaluya or OJ says, "I've I've never heard a horse make a sound like that," mm-hmm. relates directly to a flashback he has with his dad. This is a slightly later in the movie, but I now that we're talking about Ghost, I want to talk about this, mm-hmm. where Ghost is making that same sound, mm-hmm. and OJ's dad just goes, "You know, there goes Ghost again, trying to intimidate everybody, trying to be all territorial." And then he says, I guess some animals ain't meant to be trained, right. which I, I think is like the most poignant line of the whole movie, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of the movie is humans versus animals, humans versus nature. But if you think about it in the sense of like us being the animals, when you think of that line, like we can get told as many times as we want not to not to look at spectacle, not to try to not to try to exploit tragedy. But horses can be trained. Chimps kind of can, but they got a breaking point. And Humans it, can't be trained at all. I think. Huh? I think it's in the cons. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I mean, <laughs> what about like training yourself? Yeah, I think. I think he's looking at through the lens of humanity's fatal flaw of consuming spectacle. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But so, but I just I I really do think that there's this line of like, as you get more intelligent, you are dumber and dumber. You're too smart for your own good. Yeah. You go yeah, out of I, your natural instincts. Like, yeah, I, think I don't. That's a big part yeah, of I think Gordy. I think what Cam said. I think is the best way of putting. It. I think the smarter you get, I don't think it's necessarily dumber you get because look at the cinematographer character who well, yeah. might be the who's probably the smartest character there. It's stuck with me since you said he's the hero of the movie. I yeah, uh, I, I think the cinematographer is the hero of the movie. But we'll get to that when that comes. That was later. the biggest thing between first and second viewing for me too. Yeah, is that yes. director character. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So now. Sorry, the the ghost yeah. sequence happens. OJ sees what he thinks is a UFO, asks what's a bad miracle, explains what he saw to his sister, and she buys in right away, and they go to the Fry's electronic store, and they buy all the cameras. I love that, by the way, too. The fact that she doesn't sit there and, like, like play devil's advocate. She's yeah. like, you're my brother. You say you saw this. I'm going to believe I know. you. I'm going to trust you. Dude, it's the first step along the multiple steps that they take to coming together as a, relation, as a brother and sister. I totally agree, because the first time I saw it, one of the things like I thought to myself and I wrote down after I saw it is why does she believe him so quickly? Mm-hmm. And then I realize it's like because OJ is the only person on this world that she trusts. Mm-hmm. And it's because that like even he's, when yeah. even when he had the opportunity to turn his back on her and like selfishly you know, take over to the jean jacket horse mm-hmm. and just take over more responsibility within the family business, like he still he still thinks about her mm-hmm. first. And so Part of I really like that aspect of it i just want to say like he's the character he's he's such a like reserved character why would he lie about something like that? yeah he That's has he has not nothing his... to gain he's not he's one of the few characters not looking to exploit anything right yeah he's just he just does his thing don't let me forget the two most important characters in the movie are the cinematographer and oj in my yeah. opinion and so when we're done talking about the movie scene to scene basis i want to say a couple things about each of them okay okay, okay so they go to the electronic store they buy them we get introduced to Angel, who I think is very funny and I, works. He's great. He works really well as comedic relief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's basically why he's there. And I, I think he works really well, though. And um, to go with that, uh, 
the relief, the comedic relief. Every uh, the scene, the scenes that take place outside of the ranch, outside of the ones where they're at jupes or whatever, they don't have the, they don't feel as intense. They feel like, oh, you're away from the ranch, you're away from the threat. Now it's normal. Where like when they go to Fry's, he's like very witty with what he says. They're just trying to get what they're doing. But like when you're away from the ranch, everything feels like there's no threats. We're away from the threat. Yeah. This is just normal. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, yeah. And so Angel, I think is really important. Yeah. I think just to the movie, cause I think he's a perfect middle ground between, in terms of personality between OJ and M because M is like basically volume turned all the way up to a hundred full yep. of energy and OJ is incredibly reserved. And he's like this perfect middle ground, yep. I think where he's helpful in the sense of literally helping them with technology installation, but also he's got a great sense of humor and just like his pessimism about being broken up with being yeah. broken up by his girlfriend yeah and i just love because this scene after he installs the camera directly relates to when m goes and steals lucky back or steals clover i think from jupe steals a horseback from jupe mm-hmm. and then brings back the uh the um like the the training horse the statue and it's basically sitting there and then jupe drives up and they have that conversation yeah, even though they're a hundred yards apart from each other yeah and it ends with a thumbs up Thumbs up, thumbs up, and he. Should should we do it back? Thumbs up. I I love. I thought that was really. I just love the. Yeah, she's like, yeah, you go over there, and then, uh, then, uh, and then at the end, the uh, the fry angel, yeah, yeah. angel steps in. He's like, all right, you you don't don't work here. You don't live here. That's that is great too. Um, I don't understand why she stole the the trainer horse thing though. Uh, I think it's because the that scene where we get the characterization of M and OJ and OJ talking about the responsibility he feels to carry on his father's business and the basically the dedication he has to this business despite it being a failing one now that he's in charge of it. And basically now he he really doesn't have much of a choice but to sell the ranch inevitably, even though he says he's not going to then. Mm-hmm. We know if this whole alien situation weren't to happen, Probably, he he, yeah. he would yeah. he would have had to have sold it. So I think it was her way of saying, you know, I'm going to help you out. And okay, so I think she's just trying to be helpful. But I think that's also one of her biggest flaws as a, as a human is just that like, and it's part of just such her energy, is that like she's she's always she has good intentions, but she always just like does the wrong thing. Like think about when he, OJ brings her into that meeting with Jupe. Yeah, and he's trying to talk about how he'd like to create a better business relationship and she's like oh you that asian kid from yeah. kid sheriff and yeah. he's like can you please not do this right now yeah like she's trying to be nice and she's trying to create a relationship and trying to help but she's really just digging a bigger hole for the company yeah so, she's distracting right yeah from so talking business i think i think that was the point of it that was how i saw it but then okay after that we get then we get the the fake scare after that oh. with the kids dressed as aliens in the barn oh yeah what did you guys? What did you guys think of that scene? You go ahead. Uh, it was. I thought that scene was very well done. The I, uh, first time I saw it, I yeah, thought yeah. I thought we were about to get the movie that I thought the trailer exactly. Were. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, we're, in, we're in, this is where we're gonna see the aliens at mm-hmm. first, and then especially the one shot where he he's walking away and he turns around in the bottom right corner, you see the figure and it's mm-hmm. small, and then it just gets bigger and closer and you're like you don't because of the lighting you don't entirely it looks weird and it looks like unhuman mm-hmm. but then after uh the scene go, uh, develops you're like oh that's just a person standing up yeah but I the know. way that he crafted the lighting and the way that scene is it looked like it wasn't a human being it looked like it was like unnaturally like moving yeah i uh i really like had a love-hate relationship with the scene the first time i saw it because i thought the scene was really great and mm-hmm. really really intense 
And then the fact that it was just fake and it was just the kids all the time, I was like kind of upset. Yeah. But the, you know, having seen the movie a few times now, I really like that scene. And I kind of watch it through a lens of Jordan Peele, like kind of subtly winking at the audience of like, Gotcha. It, it's funny, yeah. yeah it's it's kind of like you, yeah. it's what you thought you wanted. Yeah, it's kind of like a fuck you. Yeah, like kind of yeah. like this is what you thought you were gonna get, but nah, this is the most aliens you're gonna get yeah, for the yeah. next hour and a half. Yeah, and oh. I yeah I just I don't know. So it, like it might it might sound pretentious, but the I don't know. Peel is just his command of his craft. Just it it comes off really well. I think I when I when I first saw it, I when the when the alien stands up, mm-hmm. I literally felt myself thinking the title of the movie. I was mm-hmm. like, oh no. Yeah. Nope. Yep. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Nope. And then again, when uh, the head slowly creeps from behind. Yeah. Thing. See, at that point in time, part of me was like, this is not the movie. It's too over the top for Jordan Peele. Yeah. You it's know interesting you say that because I felt the same way throughout that scene. I was almost like subconsciously I knew it was a joke. Yeah, like yeah. as the scene went, like when I first saw it, I was like, oh hell no. But then when he starts backing up and it's peeling around the corner, I'm like, Jordan Peele would never give you that much. No. At yeah. first. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. And then with so the thing, soon, yeah. with the hang, thing hanging behind, I was like, "Yeah, no shot." Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he's supposed to be like scared, and he punches it. Yeah. I was like, "Man, it's fake." Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And I like it. Just it's basically Jordan Peele's way of saying, "I'm not going to give you that kind of movie." Yeah. yeah. Which I like a lot. I, I love. And then so then that directly really leads into the Clover disappearance, where Clover does get sucked up, right? Or no, I'm sorry, the the fake horse gets sucked up. Yes, yes. which is Clover. Yeah. Right? No, Clover's a real horse because the kids let out Clover. That's why they broke into the barn. Because that's who M stole from Jupe's fo- Jupe. And then they came They came over to the barn to steal it back. Mm-hmm. Okay. She did steal the fake horse from him too, but she also stole a real horse. That's right. So, yeah, and then you get... So, basically, this is the first time that both OJ and M with their own eyes see the alien. Mm-hmm. And so... And this is also the scene with the mantis on the camera. It's also... Which I think it's awesome. Yeah, Jordan Peele, something that's so great about Us is how that movie plays with the idea of coincidences. Mm -hmm. And I like how that's like kind of a splash in this movie too with the mantis. And then it also plays really well into the whole humans versus animals thing. Yeah. So it it works on on multiple levels. And I I love that part of it though too. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is the first time you might be able to get on camera. Oh, here comes a praying mantis. Yeah. Blocking the camera's view. You can't see anything. Yeah. And and Jordan Peele, we talked about how he really loves the horror genre. Yeah. He loves to kind of play around with like cheap horror. And he does that twice in that sequence with the praying mantis coming on screen with the loud music jump scare yeah. kind of thing, mm-hmm. as well as the lady worker behind Angel. Yeah. And he does it twice as kind of like a, like yeah. boom, you know, but it's really, it's not what yeah. it's about. He's, he's playing with you one last time before the movie really gets going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we have, so, and then, yeah, Angel is also watching that whole thing unfold. And then that, the next scene then is where M and OJ call the cinematographer antlers is his first name. I forgot his last name, but uh, they call him and they offer it to him. Antlers is his first name. Antlers. Yeah. yeah I don't remember his, last name his uh, but anyway, they call him and he's saying, you know, they That's try to pitch it to something, him. right? Well, what the name antlers gotta yeah. be. Yeah. 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 Because, yes. Antlers hoist obs- is his name antlers in the movie. Hoist. Antlers has gotta be something. a hundred percent. Okay. Um, yeah. so they call him, they try to pitch it to him. And she's like, we want you to get the impossible shot. And, you know, she's basically like, think about how much money we could make. And he says, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something on the lines of this dream you have of you standing on top of the mountain. It's not what you think it is. Mm-hmm. 
and then basically hangs up. And this yep. is where he's watching a video of animals. Yeah, and this yeah. Is, he's watching animals. I'm assuming he's going through his own animals. film, like or it, it look, it's some kind of archival footage. Yeah. I I don't I don't. Th- yeah, I don't know whether yeah. he shot or I. It, it looks very old. So it makes it very so. clear that a lot of his artistic prowess is with nature and um, predator prey. Yeah, N- yeah, which definitely. makes him perfect for what they need him for. Hundred percent. And then, and then so, it also makes sense in the end. Yeah, we can get to that when we get to it. And so, right after the phone call ends, and he says no, pretty much, Angel comes back, and we get the scene of where they look at the footage, and you notice that that cloud hasn't moved an inch. So you basically see like basically where that alien thing is like kind of sleeping. Mm-hmm. And then where that comes from then too is... I, I love that too where he's like, as a matter of fact, I think I stare at that same cloud every morning yeah. for the past six months. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. that is great. And then that's when you get the realization of uh, OJ saying, it doesn't move like a ship. Maybe it's not a ship. Yeah. And then right from that line, we get a hard cut, really hard cut to black. And the word Gordy appears on screen. And this is that now when we see the full Gordy scene where we get the whole the whole foreplay of the it's Gordy's birthday. We see them filming the show and we hear the balloon pop and it cuts to black and we hear just what sounds like a monkey just mauling people, just ripping people to shreds. Mm -hmm. And then we get the scene of we see him then like uh, off screen kind of we see him like kill that the dad actor in the show he beats on his yeah. yeah and then and then he comes back in and we get the same shot that we got in the opening scene where he basically sits down next to that couch and stares directly in the camera but we see now that he's staring right at jupe go yeah. for it teddy when the camera first comes around into the set you can see the dad hiding and then he comes out yeah really i didn't notice him hiding you can you can see him kind of hiding like up it's it's up like, like a couple steps yeah. Like, yeah and then he decides to come out well what I'm just curious. Yeah, why? Like, did he, why, well, yeah. why? I mean, my thing is he didn't that know where else to go. Could you not get? He out, did. Out? Well, it, it is a film set, and so yeah. it's like a stage that was built. So obviously, those steps lead to nowhere. So he's probably just sitting yeah, no, on a platform. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, or is it basically just more at, spectacle at the end, thing? Well, ba- like well I don't think so. I think basically at the end of the movie, a big part of the movie is, you know, humanity's fatal flaw, and everything. But because humans are flawed in this way humans are kind of dumb mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so this is him just being at his stupidest and but like you also got to think too like i mean if put yourself in that situation you're you're obviously trying to get out of there in any way you can yeah. and it, it could i mean he was probably so from a realistic standpoint he's probably so hopped up on adrenaline thought oh, yeah. thought he saw a chance to get out but obviously it wasn't there yeah and he all, at first he i don't tries, think there's too much to read into with that he tries to there. talk to um gordy he's like gordy because I, I guess because yeah. he in his mind he's like i built a relationship with yeah. this chimp but yeah, you can't build a relationship with the chimp, not unless you have an exploding fist. Bump. Yeah, I was about to say not unless you can, not unless you jupe. Yeah, but and then well, another thing I love about this full Gordy sequence too is you know the camera dollies through this this television set to basically get to where we end up, where we're seeing things from the point of view of jupe under that table, and and it goes through. It looks like a fake jungle. You know, there's all these like trees and like fake leaves and stuff like this, and I just love how. Hey, you, you you have to assume that that was part of the show that mm-hmm. they like filmed part of it in the quote unquote jungle. Yeah. Whereas like maybe how they got Gordy or something. And I just love that like the irony of that is that I can't these chimps be are a good idea. Yeah, we're going through the the jungle, the artificial jungle here to watch a chimp kill a bunch of humans. Yeah. And 
Well, yeah. even from like a filming standpoint, that's not a good idea because you have an environment where a chimp is in a house and then you're going to put him in a fake jungle and what if he taps into his exactly. natural instincts? Like yeah. That just can't be a good idea. Yeah, there's so much to unpack with that Gordy scene and I, I think it's one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, and when he... when. Uh, the second time when you see him staring and you see him staring at you, for some reason, I, it was scarier than me. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because well, now you know Jupe's under there. Now yeah, you maybe, know what he's looking at. Yeah, maybe that's me. what it was, yeah. Okay. And there was, like, that actual threat of he's about to murder Yeah, Duke. and you just saw, like, him actually murdering. Like, in yeah. the first scene, you're like, he's probably murdered him, but you don't know for sure. This I, time, you know. Yeah. Okay. See, I think I found the opening scene a little bit more terrifying. Why? Because he was staring at you. Yeah. And because I know that that Jupe is a character in the movie, and, you know, he's probably around 30 years old, the version of Jupe I know. know. I know that the monkey's not going to kill Jupe. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there is such a great amount of, again, to unpack of just Gordy walking over there and offering the fist bump to Jupe. Jupe, again, another reason to feel like he's the chosen one, I think, in my eyes, is Gordy offering that fist bump. Yeah. And then another really effective jump scare where the monkey just gets shot in the head right in front of Jupe. Mm-hmm. I, um, I do want to say that that scene where Jupe is slow or not Jupe, the monkey Gordy, Gordy yeah. is slowly walking over there and then he's looking and like when you're watching the theaters, that's a big ass monkey's face that you yeah. know just mauled the shit out of all. Yeah. It's got blood all around his I mouth. I thought it was so that, scary. Yeah, that is the most is. terrifying scene of the yeah. whole movie. Okay. I think and I, that's I, I get kind that. of what I'm getting at with terrifying where yeah. it's like, it's not really scary, but it's like, that and one other scene come to mind when you say terrifying. Yes, and I think we're thinking of the same <laughs> yeah. one. But like, I'm just like, I I'm literally like that guy in the back there. Was like, no way, like, yeah. I can't do this. I was because well, you just can't help imagine you being I'm in just, his yeah, position. I just like I almost like started hyperventilating. I was like, I I can't I yeah. can't do this because he's sitting <laughs> underneath this table. He just watched all his coworkers get brutally like yeah, potentially and murdered, and, and the monkey just so slowly walks over and it's and right up in him. the face. And he like because he's the monkey's looking around and all of a sudden he goes. And looks directly at Jupe. Yeah. Like, that just sent chills down my spine when I, I was, was in the like, theater. I'm like, hell, I can't do this. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, any other final thoughts on the Gordy scene before we move on? No, but I, I just... Gordy was great. That's true. That, great that, actor, yeah. you know? Best yeah. actor of its time. I forget love the name. in more movies. I forget the name of the actor that does the motion cap work for Gordy, but it is motion cap, just like they did in, like, the new Planet of the Apes movies. Okay. Um... And so this leads directly into the the Star Lasso experience. So mm-hmm. we go right from the Gordy scene right into the uh, basically Jupe's desire to exploit the alien and have him eat the horse in front of a crowd of people. And the misunderstanding that he has this thing tamed. Yeah, that, that Jupe has any power at all yeah. in this situation. Um, another really, really great scene, I think, uh, which which, you know, ends with basically every single person and audience member taking part in the star lasso experience gets sucked up by this alien and uh i love that he includes icy by the way yeah because that's like just what makes it so i don't want to say realistic authentic yeah but yeah it's like yeah i know it's it's real stuff it's so recognizable to you yeah that it's yeah because it feels familiar because like you go to the movie you see icy machines you go to other like places of entertainment icy machines Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like it just it just furthers the point that he's doing this for yeah. profit. Right, yeah. There's there's such an iconography to the icy logo. Yeah. yeah. I think. And so yeah, and it's just like synonymous with spectacle and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. So yeah, I love the decision to include it there too. Um and that scene concludes, like I said, with them being sucked up and there's 
basically the sequence where we we the camera is inside the alien. This was and the scary. This was the most terrifying. Oh scene yeah, I've yeah. Seen. This isn't what I was talking about. It wasn't. But, but you're right, was, dude. I I can't yeah. stand to watch that. Listen, it is. I was it, talking it, about that. Yeah, incredibly yeah. incredibly haunting scene. Mm-hmm. You feel the claustrophobia. They're basically in what is like the windpipe or the esophagus of this animal. Digestive tract. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're in the process. It's like a conveyor belt of being eaten, but it's... Yeah, because they're slowly kind of moving along. Up, yeah, but and you just... There's... Yeah, and it's... So confined. And I couldn't tell if that was a real horse or... That's what I was getting at before. The, yeah. I thought I saw yeah. a horse's head yeah. or something. Right, and I was yeah. Like, that is why a horse... They get, See, like, yeah, that's I thought that too. That's what I was saying earlier. But that also, at this point in time, the plastic horse thing is still congested. Well, yeah, because he's got he's got the, the ribbon thing dangling from it yeah, the whole yeah. time. So, so it could have been that, but I don't know. That was what I was... Yeah, I think it looked more like a skull, though. Yeah. I agree. Like but it like, been okay. there for a while. And so, but that's thing, it could have been clover, too. Or it could have been but it, ghost. But you do see the alien, like... Uh, like or it could just Secrete a lot of the things it intakes. So if it had been there a while, it would have presumably like gotten rid of yeah it. so it might not have that's been there what, for as long as that's you think. what wants me to think it was this plastic horse okay because again i'm doing whatever i can to find this theme yeah <laughs> that animals are smart you gotta work with what's given to you no i know yeah. um <laughs> so from this scene though which i also think is this is like the best three scene sequence in the whole movie you go from the full gordy scene to the star lasso experience and then to what I call the it's an animal slash blood shower scene. Oh, yeah. Where basically OJ goes to the Star Lasso experience because he, for some reason, claims to M, I'm going to go steal back Clover. And, um, or I'm going to go steal back Lucky. Yeah. Because Lucky's the one that's in the cage for the Star Lasso experience. And then he shows up there, notices that they're all gone, sees the animal, the alien, still lurking in the skies. And then it basically comes down and tries to eat him and Lucky unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. And he, so he comes to the realization it's not a ship, it's an alien, or it's an animal. And so he's trying to drive back to the ranch, and he's on the phone trying to tell M that. And then M's phone cuts out because the alien is right above the house. Mm-hmm. And it poops, vomits, digests everything it had just eaten at the Starless Experience mm-hmm. directly onto their ranch. And it's some of the most visually striking images I've seen in a movie in a long time. It'll, I, I can feel this particular scene really having a, an impact on the history books. When we look back at this era of movie making where, you know, you see the blood basically run down the windows and it's basically like it's raining blood on the house when there's an actual rainstorm going on around it. And it's some really, really powerful imagery. And I really, really love that scene. And then that also is the scene to where basically the alien digests all that stuff. And then it moves over to, um, OJ's truck because OJ's truck stops working mm-hmm. due to the electrical field and it's right above him. OJ opens the car door, peeks his head out, goes, nope, <laughs> closes the car door. Yes. And this is that scene I was talking about where it's just his face, complete silence for like and that that is 45 seconds. Is, that was what I was thinking as the other most terrifying house scene. scene. Just him in the car. Oh, that one. Yeah. Again, like you can't look away, but you really want to because you know something bad's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And then this is when we see then the training horse crash through the windshield. And it's just it, about killed me. Yeah, it's very <laughs> yeah. loud, very, very uh, effective jump scare. I would say definitely got me the first time I saw it. Um, yeah, and so that that whole like thirty minute segment of Gordy's home Starless experience, and then blood shower slash, it's an animal slash OJ in the truck, is 
some of the most riveting movie making I've seen yeah. in it's a tough. long time. It's tough to watch, but in a good way. Yeah. And then we get we get another cut to black and it opens up. OJ wakes up in the truck. It seems to be morning now. And uh he basically drives to go pick up M and Angel from inside the house. And the thing is still lurking around. And this is when they, they run out of the house, they go to run to the truck. Or they're in the, the fry van now. And this is when OJ has the realization he thinks back to when he was on the commercial shoot and that guy flips around the horse to the mirror or the mirror to the horse and the horse like kicks that makeup bag mm-hmm. because you're not supposed to look it in the eye. It was freaked out by its own reflection. So this is when OJ has the realization that the thing won't eat you if you don't look it in the eye. So he's trying to get them all in the truck. And he's keeping his head down and they just barely make it out of there. And then they go over to Angel's apartment and then they go to the fish restaurant which is a sneaky good scene. This is where OJ then tells everybody, it won't eat you if you don't look it in the eye. And this is where Angel says, like, RTR, bro, oh, read yeah. the room. Nobody wants to talk about this yeah. right now. Yeah. But what's what's I like a lot about that scene is... um. Are we going to say the same thing? What? In the background? Yeah, the fight going yes. on. Yes. Yes. There's like, it looks to be just like a soccer team or something is at the restaurant and then they go out and out on the sidewalk, right out the window in front of where OJ, M, and Angel are sitting... They're like fighting with each other and they're not even looking at it like the OJM and Angel. They aren't even looking at the fight going on I didn't because notice that. they're so distracted by there. There's there's a certain level of spectacle going on in this fight, but there's even more spectacle in the idea of them being able to have some sort of control over the alien. It's almost as if like, oh, we just saw this fucking alien yeah how are we supposed to be interested in something as petty as right some, yeah a little fight yeah. between two humans and even angel claiming that he doesn't want to talk about the alien right now yeah can't help but focus on the alien what else are you supposed because, to talk about well yeah because and because oj is offering basically saying i i think i know a way where we can have some sort of power in this situation mm-hmm. where we can control this alien because it won't eat us if we don't look directly at it and so that's how i read it Teddy, you look like you have something you want to say. I read it completely differently. It looked to me like it was a fake fight. Okay. It wasn't a real fight. It was these guys. You know how like when a couple guys together like, oh, yeah, let's see who wins the fight. To me, that was just dead to nuts. Like humans aren't as savage as animals. slap box type. Oh, yeah. Just like like everything is just kind of for the show. They're fighting for the show, for the rise of their friends. Their friends are laughing and pushing each other. You know, like it's just this whole like to me, that was just complete indirect like yeah look at these fools look like yeah, yeah. Like humans foolish ju- human we're beings. not real we do it I, for the laugh we i do agree it for the for the fun for the yeah. spectacle yeah but like even if say a group of people five feet away from you were yes. doing that you would you would right. you look at it though absolutely. yes so i think, I I think, I I think seen, it works on both levels yeah. not if i had just seen a giant human eater ufo okay <laughs> Picture you hadn't though, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, fair so enough. I think it works on both levels, and I think that like it goes back to the idea of there's no one right way to watch this movie. But right. I think that's an excellent point, Teddy. Yeah, and so basically Jordan Peele's realization of you know don't look in the eye. He then goes into him saying we got to feed it again, and M is initially reluctant, but this is also when it seems like she gets a text from the cinematographer, and they go back to the ranch, and he's there waiting for them. And this is basically like the start of the third act. Mm -hmm. This next scene is basically like, I called it like the gang bands together and forms a plan to get the money shot. Like they figure out that they can do it. 
And um, this is where OJ um, takes the bull by the horns and names the alien jean jacket. And also talks about how um, Jupe was unsuccessful because he tried to enter an agreement with a predator. Mm -hmm. That's what he says in the movie. And I want to talk about what you guys think is the significance behind that and also the significance behind his decision to name the alien jean jacket. Well, the uh, the first part of that, um, the agreement with a predator, um, mm -hmm. you can't, I mean, in order to have an agreement with something, they have to understand what an agreement entails. Yeah. And a predator is so primitive in nature that it won't ever be able to understand. Like, even if you take a horse, you can tame a horse, but it's not going to know, it's not going to think of it as an agreement. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I just want to talk about naming a gym jacket. Yeah, okay. go for it. I think that's. I, I think Cam pretty much hit the nail on the head. There, yeah, absolutely. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it's it's just about like, um, what's Kiki Palmer's name? M. Her M name's M Emerald. Emerald. Yeah. I think this is kind of like a hey, you're getting a shot now to try and to yeah almost train this thing, because we're gonna try and be in control. This is what we're gonna try and do. We're creating a plan that we're gonna try and train it, tame it, do whatever to get our shot. Mm -hmm. You're kind of now in control. So is that OJ making being like, "This is your moment now, M." I don't know if it's so much. Is that why yeah. he names it Jean Jacket? I don't know if it's so much a OJ moment as it is a Jordan Peele moment. Okay. Of just trying to tell you, like, I think it's shift, definitely an OJ M moment. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Because I can see that though. Jordan Peele wants us to shift focus a little bit away because as especially towards the third act, you start to see less of OJ and more of M. So I can I can kind of see that. I think it's also the last like this thing's not an alien; it's an animal. Yeah. And we know that blue jean jacket, I want to keep saying yeah. blue jean, jean jacket <laughs> is an animal from the movie. And so this is like the final, like, yeah, this thing's not an alien. It's an animal. Yeah. And it's going to behave like it. Yeah. But go ahead. What you were going to say? No. Yeah. I definitely think, um, because the horse jean jacket, when they were kids, basically what ended up happening with it, you know, M having basically jean jacket stolen from her and given to her brother and her dad and a, in that sense, mm -hmm. basically Jean Jacket was supposed to divide them, but you know, OJ acknowledging how she felt in the moment, basically Jean Jacket in the sense brought them closer. You know, M created a greater respect for OJ because of what happened with Jean Jacket when they were kids. And so I kind of see it as just like him naming them Jean, naming the alien Jean Jacket is basically reaffirming that I'm in this with you till the end. If you're going to be in it with me, I like to the that end. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think him naming a Jean Jacket's really there too again, create more of an emotional stronghold on the audience of that OJM relationship, which every time I watch it, the movie, I think that relationship gets stronger to me. And I think they work really, really well together. And I think this, this adds a level to that. But so after that, the, the next scene I called it. So basically the stage is set and they begin rolling. You know, we get the scene where, um, Antler says here that he's got the non-electrical camera. He built him himself, and we get that awesome high five between OJ and M, which I think is the funniest scene in the movie. Yes, mm -hmm. I, I told you he was going to bring a non-electrical mm -hmm. camera. And so good. <laughs> that so scene good. is great. And then so they set up all those um, inflatable car dealership floating. Lucky wave inflatable flaying arm two mans. Sure, thank you. So they set all those up. Stage is set. Um, Antlers is cranking that camera. They're rolling. OJ's out there on the horse, and then the TMZ reporter shows up, which is a really fascinating decision to include this. Having seen the movie three times and feeling like I have a, a f 
pretty firm grasp on what the movie's trying to say, or at least how I interpret it. I feel like the inclusion of the TMZ reporter, while poignant and thought-provoking, I think is a little too on the nose. I think a little too much of Jordan Peele being like, now do you get what I'm trying to say? Now do you get it? But I still really like the scene. I think there's so... I think that this movie deals with irony so well. And so the fact that the TMZ reporter's helmet is basically one giant mirror. Mm -hmm. So every time they look at him, they see themselves in his helmet. Um, The TMZ reporter then, uh, he tries to record M basically saying, yeah, what do you know about what happened at Jupiter's claim? How come this whole ranch shows up blurry on Google Maps, blah, blah, all this stuff. And then basically M's like, you need to get out of here. You you want you want to go to Jupiter's claim? It's that way. Mm-hmm. You, you can't be here. And so he drives away, and he meets his demise because he's on an electrical bike. <laughs> is, and it, is it pop- morbid for me to say? I think that's the funniest scene of the whole. Movie. No, no. There's definitely a <laughs> definitely a huge level of comedy in that movie. I love the pop quiz. What happens yeah. when an electric, yeah. electric bike going sixty miles an hour meets an and it's like anti electrical cla- field going in the exact opposite direction? Mm-hmm. It's like the classic comedy where it's like dun 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 silence, and then it's just him flying. Yeah, and you just hear that scream off in the distance, <laughs> and then Angel being like, "There's a hundred percent chance that guy is dead," and yep. you just hear him off in the distance, scream, Um, and then you see OJ making the decision then to go up to the TMZ guy and try and help him which um, is interesting, and then it happens. OJ goes up to him. The TMZ guy is like, he's like, please tell me you were recording that. Yeah. That's the first thing he says. It really interesting, yeah. and then... I agree with you, though. I think it's hitting it right on the nose. Yeah, almost like too hard, I think. But I, but I still enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, I still enjoyed it, I will say, even the first time I saw the movie, the TMZ guy was by far my least favorite aspect of the movie. Really? Okay, interesting. I, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I feel mixed about it but I was like, uh, we're ready to go into this whole thing and then all of a sudden he shows up and like and, and it, i agree he didn't mess it up a whole lot either so i, I don't know and i still think it's jordan's jordan peele's way of also being like he you're right he creates so much tension he sets the stage for the third act in a very generic fashion where it's like a montage of them getting set up yeah you know the music's playing along with them. You're on the edge of your seat. You're ready to see the alien come. You're ready to see you know the big fight, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And then Jordan Peele's being like, "Actually, wait. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put a pause on that for yep. five minutes and make you watch this." Yep. And so it's again him subverting expectations, which it's fun to look at it through that lens. But again, I don't think it's I don't think it 100 works for me either. But it was interesting. I was listening to a separate podcast, and one of the podcast guests on that show was a former employee of TMZ. Interesting. And he said that he thought the inclusion of the TMZ reporter was the most authentic part of the whole movie because when he worked at TMZ, somebody he worked with basically was hired to go out. It was around the time where Manny Pacquiao, the boxer, was going to fight somebody. And he was hired to go out and get some footage of Manny Pacquiao because Manny Pacquiao at the time had said something very controversial, but he also had this big fight coming up. So basically they just wanted footage of Manny Pacquiao and just a reporter basically doing what this one does to M in the movie. Just being like, Hey Manny, why'd you do this? Why'd you say this? Why'd you say this? Yeah. And basically something happened and the guy was unable to get the shot of Manny Pacquiao. And this guy on the podcast said that he was fired within minutes Wow. Of TMZ finding out that he was unable to get the shot. Wow. They didn't want to hear any of his excuses. They said, pack your stuff and get out of here. You're never going to work for TMZ again. Wow. 
And so the guy then on this podcast was like, so this guy in the movie being so hungry to be like, please tell me you're recording. Please tell me you got that. Why? Where's your phone? Where's my phone? Please get my camera out for me. He's like, that is 100% what would happen. Wow. I, so that that, is, that changed my yeah. philosophy on it a little bit. Um, yeah, no, and, that's very interesting. Yeah. So, and it, and it again, just, I mean, we talk so much about this this fatal flaw that Jordan Peele brings up in this movie of humans. This is this is that fatal flaw like to the max. Oh yeah, this is this is it on its on its wor- at its worst. But then, so Jordan Peele tries to save him. He's basically got that circle on his helmet. The TMZ reporter does that looks like an eye. And he goes, keep your eye closed. Yeah, yeah, keep your eye closed. <laughs> He's like trying to get him to cover it. He won't do it. He's like, get your camera out, get my camera out. And the alien comes, and OJ basically is just like, I'm sorry, dude, and he's got to leave, and the alien eats him. Mm-hmm. This then leads to the m- most thrilling part of the movie, in my opinion, from a musical standpoint. The song on the soundtrack is called The Run, parenthesis, Urban Legend. This is where OJ decides to put his hood up. He's got the two green things on the back of his hood that look like eyes, and he basically just rides the horse from over by where that guy is all the way back to like the shed over by the ranch. And the, the alien is right on his tail the whole time. And there's this extremely triumphant music playing and antlers, the cinematographer gets the shot and it's just extremely intense, thrilling sequence that works really, really well. In my opinion, do you guys have anything you want to say about that? I don't get the eyes. I feel like, like it's so I, I took it as the, um, the alien, would follow him. That's what I took it as too. He but, thinks that he's looking at the alien, but he's not actually. Yeah. But wouldn't the alien just like scoop him up really quickly? Well, well right. But he usually does, people are looking at the alien. They're st- standing still. He's got eyes in the back of his head, riding a horse forward. That too. And he also deploys that parachute. That's right. That's he right. deploys okay. a parachute and the parachute kind of forms a circular eye type thing to it. And so you see the alien is like right on his tail, but then the alien does like a full 90 degree turn to try and like, looks like consume that, parachute and then well it does a full 90 yeah, yeah, turn. yeah i read that differently though. i thought he was trying to avoid it i thought that too because remember oh, clover okay. had the same thing on and he said and with, then uh og oh. oj was like um he won't be effing with these for a while oh you're not you're that. right that's right. right yeah thought. okay yeah so it was kind of because like, it was like something coming at him kind yeah. of okay so he yeah. kind of took it as like oh he ate this before and he felt pain from it so right. if he sees gotcha. this again he's yeah. gonna his you brain's guys gonna are connect right. the dots yes. and be like i need to avoid that yeah so there is so in a way that's oj realizing how smart the animal is at the same time mm-hmm. basically everything he's, seems like it's gone to plan OJ, know, seems, oj escapes yeah he seems to be the only character who wants to give this alien credit for being yeah uh p- the potential of being smart and which is understanding things around it which is so interesting because that leads as we get closer to the end here so after that happened, it seemed like everything went to plan. They got the shot, and then the cinematographer, Antlers, says says the quote, the light's going to be magic soon. He looks at the sun, it's setting, and it's going to be, it looks like right around golden hour. The sun's going to be just above the valley, and it's going to be shining perfect. So he takes the camera himself, and he goes out, and he just sacrifices himself and records himself being eaten by the alien. So now everything's kind of gone to shit a little yep. bit. Um do you want to talk about that, the sacrifice? Or do you want to wait? Yeah, actually, let's do it now. Okay. So I said previously, I think the cinematographer, Antlers, is the hero of the movie. They get the money shot. They literally now, 
The world is their oyster. They won. They won. Yeah. They won in their eyes. Mm-hmm. They could get who knows how much money for that kind of footage. A lot. And Antlers, who previously said in the movie to M, that dream you have where you're standing on top of the mountain, it's not what you think it is. He Antlers, says it's the dream you never wake up from. It's the dream, that's what he says. Yep, it's the dream you never wake up from. Antlers now is the only person smart enough in the situation to realize the consequences of the action he's just done. He just realized what he just set himself up for for the years to come. And the only way to basically absolve what he's just done is to kill himself and to ruin everything he's just created in the process. Now, it now looks like, yes, things are ruined for OJ, M, and Angel, but in reality, he's saving their lives. He's making an attempt to save their lives by ruining the thing that would corrupt them the most. Mm-hmm. Right. This this exploitation of the alien, this exploitation of tragedy, and then this basically then just to desire to consume and profit off of this tragedy for the next years to come, however many years to come. He is trying to destroy that in the moment. He's, he's looking out for them, in my opinion. So it's a heroic sacrifice. And here's where humanity's fatal flaw comes back in. He does it. And not only do... The, the the movie's moving so quick, first of all, but not only do they not even mourn his death or even, like, really acknowledge that he just died. Yeah. They're basically like, okay, what can we do now to get the shot? Yeah, that's what I was, I was going to say. Like, does he fail then? He does fail. Yeah. He does. He's, yeah, the... To call OJ... To call M, OJ, and Angel villains is not correct, yeah. but... They're you not know, doing the right thing. They're not doing the right thing. Right. <laughs> you know, and they, they, had a, they had an opportunity. Like, that was their chance right there. If they would have just been like, if they would have just took a step back and said, wait, was he was he making the right decision yeah, by doing what he, he just did? Yeah. Right. But now, basically, he just died in vain. Yeah. He tried to help them. And now they're like, no, nah, it doesn't matter. Let's go. How do we get the shot? We need the shot. Right. We need the shot. We need the shot. Which makes it all that much better. We make, yeah. Which it, makes his death so much more tragic. Yes. And which pounds even more into the irony of when they do get the shot yeah. at the very end there. So well, what's a what's a what's a better like way to think about winning here? Is it getting a shot of the thing that we can like have as evidence for the whole world to know it exists or is it to uh go back to when the whole world doesn't know it exists? What's what's the better outcome there? Cuz if you if the world knows it exists, you can kind of work towards a way of potentially eliminating it. Or if, and then if the world doesn't know it exists again and people stumble on this ranch, they could potentially get killed from it. You're right. So I think there's definitely an aspect of it where it's like the world needs to know about it, but you have to think about what their intentions are with it. Are Mm -hmm. their intentions to inform people or are their intentions with this footage to profit off of it? And also I think about this a lot. My whole interpretation of the inclusion of Gordy and the inclusion of the Jupe character is that it's basically a warning to M, OJ, Angel, if you do what you're about to do, this is what your life's going to become. Jupe survives the Gordy attack. He thinks basically he has all his power, whether or not you think he's the chosen one, whatever. Mm -hmm. But he chooses to profit off of that tragedy. People that he knew he was close to died in that Somebody who he calls his first crush and one of his oldest friends, Mary Jo Elliott, her face is permanently mangled, and yet he still is profiting off it, taking $50,000 yeah. from people to stay the night in a Gordy-themed museum. And this is 20-plus 20, 20 years after the experience, and he's still profiting off of this tragedy. Yeah. So I think that whole inclusion is basically like, 
if you go through with trying to get this footage of Jean Jacket the alien, this is what you're setting yourself up for. You're going to be in a black hole of just trying to profit off of tragedy for the rest of your life. Because what more is, yes, there is an informative level to it, but in reality, this alien just ate 50 people. It ate all the people at Star Lasso experience. It just ate the cinematographer. It ate, or it killed your dad. And it's like, and here you are trying to profit off of it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's how I interpret the whole inclusion of the Jube character and the whole Gordy experience in general. I also think there's a level of like, humans versus animals, humans versus nature aspect to mm-hmm. it. But from a aspect of spectacle and consuming spectacle, that's how I see it yeah. personally. And so that's why I think it makes the antlers, the cinematographers attempt to try to save them all the more heroic, even though I do think he ultimately fails. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause the first time I saw it, I was like, he just messed everything up. Yeah, I know. It's, so it's did interesting I think that you bring that up. Yeah. That he's actually, I know. Trying yeah. To- like that's why it's stuck help with me. in a way that no one else. Would I know, help. and that's and that's the crazy thing about the movie here. We're getting right around the ending. Um, Wait, but one more thing that then questions my if he does all this and then wants to delete all the footage. Why did he go to the ranch in the first place? Just to get the impossible shot because he's so maniacal about his yeah. craft. Well, and think about look, when we're when we see outside of the commercial shoot in the very beginning. The next time we're introduced to antlers, he's sitting there watching. Yeah, animals destroying animals, and basically not thinking anything of it. Really, like yes, he has the line of "It's the dream you never wake up from," but he doesn't even realize in the moment that like what he's watching on screen is part of that spectacle that's corrupting him. And so when he finally, I think it's, I think it's when he finally does it for himself, because I don't think the footage he's watching is his, his own. I think it's from there. I think it's from like early twentieth like century. Yeah. yeah, and so I just th- I took it as him seeing with his own eyes the power of what he's just done and how dangerous it could really be uh-huh. i that's how i see it and yeah. so yeah basically yeah so i i really find that sacrifice of him very interesting i find and i really like looking at the whole inclusion of jupe and gordy through that lens and i'm not saying it's the correct lens because like i said there's multiple ways to yeah. watch this movie and i'm just that's the that's the way that it stuck out to me mm-hmm. like that was my first conclusion when i watch it and that's i i think that's that's still how i view it but so after his sacrifice, Jean Jacket then attempts to eat Angel and M. He tries to eat Angel. Remember, he goes up, and then right before he's about to, that tarp kind of yeah. falls over, and Angel like tumbles down the hill, and the alien ends up just flying away. Then it goes over to the shed where M is, like blows the roof off the shed. M goes flying back, and then it ends up like consuming the whole shed. You see like all the wood and stuff getting sucked up. So basically, they both survive. And then you see the alien begin to unfold. Yeah. And it completely morphs from a UFO looking flying saucer type deal into this majestic statuesque, like That's the most ambiguous part of the movie, in my opinion. Uh, I a hundred percent agree. Like, Whoa, what yeah, I it it's it's I heard somebody describe it as a ribbon esque. Like it looks yeah. like it's ribbons. Yeah. It's very it looks like you know if you were to take a big like sheet and just kind of like like yeah i don't even know like fold it really fast and just like capture all the wind i don't know it's intentionally majestic and very intricately designed but i'm wondering if you guys have anything you want to say about the design of the alien i think that has to do with i actually thought it kind of was like cool it was definitely cool looking yeah Yeah. no i agree and Uh i think there's a lot to do with like that's actually even though this thing just mauls people and eats people. Yeah, there's a level of beauty to there's it. There's a level of beauty yeah. to it. Yeah, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of beautiful things in nature yeah. that mm-hmm. also 
will murder you if you get yeah. close I to think, it. I think that's the best way to look at it. That's too. how I looked the second time. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, we're definitely supposed to take in the beauty of it. Because, yeah. I mean, what else is there to take in when it's in that final form? Yeah. yeah. Like, what else can you do except like, acknowledge the structure and the beauty of it? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that then, thing where it's like the... Whoosh, yeah. Yeah, now, and it's like it's like the, it's not even like a like a, a, a mouth. Sh- yeah, it's not even like a mouth. It's almost like a larynx. Like it's like reaching out, but it doesn't really like extend yeah, at all. It's it almost like a like it like it messes with your mind just looking. Yeah, it's at like it. hypnotic. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think there's a, definitely a large amount of intention with making that hypnotic trap thing green. Yeah. I think there's a direct correlation between that and the color of money, and okay. just oh. I think how. Both of them are and a trap. Greed in general is yeah. typically yeah. Yeah. mean. Both of them are a trap, I think. I like looking at it through that lens. But So basically then the alien unfolds. Um, It tries to eat Angel again, but Angel wraps himself in barbed wire and it like spits him out. And then OJ decides that the only thing he can do is sacrifice himself. M's over by the electric bike. He told her to go to it. And he's like, go, get out of here. Like do something i'll take care of it here and we get the very emotional scene where they do they redo the whole like i'm looking at you Mm -hmm. thing um i was most moved by that scene the third time i saw it actually i found that the most emotionially impactful that time first time i watched it i hated it because you know i hate you do hate hate sacrifices yeah as did i do with the cinematographer yeah the second time watching it both of them made a lot more sense yeah about sacrifices with meaning though yeah that's what i'm saying yeah but like i like i hate when it's like oh Oh, I love you so much. I'll sacrifice my life and for then, you. I hate that. So here's yeah. why I like this scene too, is because it's, especially the first time you saw it, you, it seems like a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. seems like OJ is sacrificing himself. But Cam, you brought it up earlier, how OJ is the only one that really gives this alien jean jacket credit. Mm-hmm. Like he acknowledges what its intentions are, it kind of, and it, it, what it will and won't do. And so I think this is OJ being like, it may seem like I'm sacrificing itself, but I know this thing's not going to touch me. Yeah, because nobody else wants to like realize that this thing, even though it's most likely from a different world, it and it's most likely primitive in its uh, like um, consciousness, it's still like making decisions. Oh yeah, and it's and and nobody else gives it credit. Like oh, it's making a decision. Like they're just like oh, this is big UFO. I can't stop looking at it. Even Angel, even though he knows he can't yeah, look at it, he's. He still does because yeah. he was told from OJ that if you look at like if you don't look at it, it won't hurt you. Yeah. And even right before the tarp hits him, he's just, he's not, he doesn't make he's it, like he doesn't make it, it's like jaw drop. Yeah, no effort to look away from it. Yeah. Um, same thing with M though too because you know the alien blows her back and she stands up and she's like limping away and OJ tells her to go to the bike and get out of here. And as she's walking to the bike, she's literally walking with her head down, telling herself, "Don't look at it. Yep. Don't look at it." But she still just keeps glancing up and looking over at it. Like she literally cannot help herself but look at it. Um, so I love that. But so finally, you know, they go through the emotional exchange of I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. And then we get what I think is one of the coolest shots, if not the coolest shots of the movie, where she gets on the bike and there's that tracking shot where it's basically just like the camera following her. It is golden hour, which is it's funny because like the light is magic at that mm-hmm. point. And it's just like we get that sick tracking shot. Camera's following her as she's ripping that bike through the desert. It's really cool. She ends up at Jupiter's claim, unties all the ropes for the giant jupe balloon. The thing floats into the sky. She grabs a bunch of coins off the ground, puts them in the winking well, gets the perfect shot of the alien. The alien eats the balloon, 
explodes i think yeah yeah, yeah. It, 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 it can't it can't handle it yeah. um the alien dies seemingly she gets the perfect shot um it seems like they've won yeah it's see it's a triumphant moment she's notably right after she gets the shot and the alien explodes she notably screams like yeah nobody fucks with haywood bitch <laughs> yeah which and so she's basically like sitting there taking in what she just did feeling triumphant and then you see like news reporters start to show up in the background and you can tell that there's a sense on m's face of just like dread kind of just like do i really oh, have no. to do this right now yeah kind of like oh no um and then she stands up she stares out into the distance she like close her eyes she like tightens up her face opens them again and right beneath right perfectly in frame with the out yonder sign of jupiter's claim there's OJ on mm-hmm. the horse and the movie cuts to black and yeah. ends. Chills. I know. Um, Hated it. So what first you think, time I watched yeah. it. You think OJ's dead then? No, I think OJ's alive. I agree. I, I think yeah. he's alive too. I thought that part of me thought he might've been dead. Yeah. The second time I saw it. Yeah. And then no, I, you brought it, you bring it up here. And the, the third time I saw it, I really realized how much OJ n- knows about this creature and basically the respect he's giving it. And, so one of the things I said earlier in the podcast is I said, once we're done going through all the scenes, don't let me forget. There's something I want to say about OJ and the cinematographer, because I think they're the two most interesting characters in the movie. I already said everything I need to say about the cinematographer Mm -hmm. because it's all centered around his sacrifice and everything. I think the movie is ultimately a tragedy about OJ's character because OJ, I think you're right. He's incredibly reserved. And the most notable thing about him compared to the other human characters in the movie is that he is the only one willing to give Jean Jacket credit. Mm-hmm. He's like, it is an, it is a territorial animal. It just doesn't want to be fucked with. Don't look at it in the eye. If you appear powerful to it, it is more afraid of you than you are of it. It's not going to eat you. And so he has this clear understanding of animals. And OJ being so reserved, and you see that he's not a great communicator throughout the movie. So in that fashion, he's very like animalistic, kind of. But the movie ends, the alien is dead, they have the shot, and there's OJ standing triumphantly on the horse like, fuck yeah, we got the shot. Yeah. And like M is like, same thing. She's like, fuck yeah. She's also like, you're alive. I'm so happy. And basically they are set up to be like Jupe for the next, until they die. Oh, yeah. And another reason that I think that there's direct evidence proving this I'm going to, I'm going to play the song because I talked about the music in the movie and I talked about how extensive the soundtrack is. Well, and, um, for OJ, he's like, he won. So even though he was the only thing to give it credit, maybe the fact that he was able to tame it is going to be his own downfall. Cause like you said, now he's not going to have that level of respect for it because now he sees himself as above the predator. I have to play it off of YouTube. So there might be an ad first. Perfect. There's no ad. Okay. So basically like I said, the soundtrack is extremely long. Mm-hmm. There is one song that plays twice in the movie. The song is titled Nope. And it plays directly after we see the entire Gordy's home scene. And it hard cuts to Steven Yoon's face, the older version of Jupe, right before he's about to go on and do the Star Lasso experience. And what happens at the Star Lasso experience? He meets his demise. He is, by him dying, he is then in turn realizing that 
what he's been doing for the past 20 years has been leading to him dying, and it was always going to lead to this because he shouldn't have tried to exploit tragedy and profit off of the spectacle of it in the mm-hmm. first place. Yeah. The only other time the song plays is when OJ shows back up at the very end. And wow. if, if the song played earlier in the movie as a precursor to death and a precursor to you're making a big mistake, I think that there's a, a huge a huge level of intentionality yeah. of playing the song at those two points. Yeah. You guys want to hear Because like the they seemingly win, but... And this is... Yeah, exactly. They seemingly win, but at the end of the day... Now like, they're, they're doomed just, to go down... Yeah, to the dream that they never wake up from. Yeah, exactly. And this is the song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a good note to end the pod on, too. Just have this play out. You want to? Kind of, yeah. Because obviously I want you to watch Nope and form your own opinions. Yeah. So, hey, thank you for listening today. Go see Nope, form your own opinion. Go see you multiple times. Yeah, go see you multiple times, and we'll see you next time on the True Critic Podcast.